on the just baseball show at the end of last week we talked about some of the guys that you know are up that could be getting up we talked about jose miranda we talked about max myers insane starts in the minor league season two guys got the call two guys made their major league debut yesterday that was george kirby and alec thomas arm Layton and myself are going to talk about both of them we're also going to sing the praises of the san diego padres because maybe we were just a year early on them but arm the classic podcast thing, right? Uh, we have to talk for two to three minutes about something not baseball related before we get um, into something baseball related. I'm floored you didn't want to open it up with just the all-time fuck you from the baseball gods that I got. Oh, yeah. I was actually thinking about, um, I, I thought about it in the car on my way from Chicago to Indy saying, welcome to the Just Baseball Show. Jack McMullen with the president of the Jorge Alfaro fan club, Aram <laughs> Layton. <laughs> Should we do that? Should, uh, let me restart and then that'll be good. Or you can just run with that right now. Uh, you know, like I'm very excited to talk about the non-baseball thing. I just feel like we need to address this. Yeah. Uh, I just need to, it's, it's like a, it's like a PR nightmare that we have to get out in front of and then we'll deal with yeah. the rest later. Um, yeah. I've for a long, a long time mentioned how Jorge Alfaro is, is not a good baseball player. And uh, I still don't think he's a very good baseball player, but he had an opportunity to get up. In the ninth inning uh, against the Marlins, bottom of the ninth, down th- down two, two men on, and Cole Solcer decided to throw a cement mixer down the middle, and uh, Jorge Alfaro hit a three-run shot to win the ball game. And uh, the Marlins are as cursed as it gets. So I, I, I just wanted to, to get out in front of this one because I literally said in, in our group chat, if Alfaro full home run hits a home run here, we're folding just baseball. Um, it was a bluff. It was a bluff. Just baseball is going to continue to, to operate, but he okay. homered about 45 seconds later. Yeah. First pitch. Yep. Yep. <laughs> all right. I, just, I just wanted to see you nod for a little bit. Yeah. All right. So you, you want to get to the non-baseball thing now? Yeah, we can get to the non-baseball thing now. Uh, that was pretty good. And Coase Holser has had a very solid start to the year, too. It was just one bad pitch that Alfaro sent to the moon. Well, yeah, and jokes aside, like the Marlins do need to figure out what they're going to do in the closer spot. I, I think you really underestimate. Like, there's a lot of guys that look really good in the seventh. There's some sort of just mental aspect to the ninth, and I feel like they keep trying all these different seventh inning guys in the ninth, and they just they turn into different dudes in the ninth, uh, and it just it's a different beast. And so the Marlins got to figure that one out. Uh, do you think the closer? Great. Do you think the closer at the end of the year is on the roster right now? I think if they're in bad shape, no. So like, or if, if they're in bad shape, yes. Like I think that there's a, there's a way where they just stick to what they're doing and they'll try to just keep experimenting with whoever Dylan Flora was the guy that they apparently look at as the closer, which I think is crazy too. He's a ground ball guy. I hope that the closer is not on their roster, but I don't have a lot of faith that they'll go out and make another move. Yeah, that's fair. All right. Non-baseball thing. Non-baseball thing. 
if you got a thing of Tic Tacs when you were checking out at the grocery store, you see it at the gas station right near the register. Yep. If you have a carton of Tic Tacs, how quickly do you get through that carton of Tic Tacs? It's a good question. I was actually talking about this recently because I, I was I was take, taking a lot of my friends Tic Tacs like that day. I asked for like three or four on multiple occasions and I can start requesting you. And then we got into like the, the details of how much each individual Tic Tac would be, which yeah. I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah. But to get through a pack of Tic Tacs, probably about three, four days. Three, four days. I'll take two at a time, two, three at a time. I, okay. I, I'll like kind of just dunk it back in my mouth. Just yeah. Uh, pause. Uh, but yeah, I usually just just pour a couple in at a time. Yeah. yeah good tilt action. Um, yeah. yeah I get it. I get it down in about 15, 20 minutes. Um, I literally just eat it like candy. It's zero cal. That's disgusting. That's it's that's like, weird. It's not That's super I, weird. Yeah. The orange Tic Tacs. I'll grab oh, okay. those as like a little fruity snack. ones. Fruity ones I could I could probably do in about two days. Even the white mint ones. though, I, I there's I have a mint threshold for me, and at a certain level, I just can't. I don't need any more mint in my day. Oh no! See, even the mint, it's it's subdued enough of a mint to the point where I just like I treat it like a little snack, like curing See, my sweet tooth. Tic Tac. I think it's subdued in the beginning, but then that that shit gets pretty minty at the end. Like it's yeah. I'll find myself spit it out sometimes. I don't know. See, here's the thing. Like I put like six or seven in my mouth at a time. <laughs> this is, this is if someone clips this shit. <laughs> and then I just keep going back for more. It, it, you're, you're never satisfied. I'm never satisfied. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about baseball now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh man. Right, let's um, start so, with, <laughs> what do you want to start with? I, I mean, I want to talk about the Padres because that was something that I wanted to get into for sure. But I, maybe we, we wrap up with that because I think the rookies is, is a fun thing to start with and probably won't take as long. I think we're really going to dive into the Padres multifaceted. This is like a narrative, uh, you know, right. that over the last two years that has fascinated me. Um, so I'm interested in getting into like the roller coaster that has been the narrative around the Padres. Yeah, but it hasn't been a roller coaster for George Kirby. It's been more of like an ascension and it's the same for Alec Thomas. These guys have had many hiccups in their development, but these are also guys that like you look at Bobby Witt in the big leagues. He's looked really, really rough as of late. He's going to be fine. But yeah. you look at even Torkelson, like it's a little bit of ups and downs. These two guys, I think, are going to hit the ground running on the pitching side. Hunter Green, roller coaster, right? Yes. I don't think that's going to be the case with George Kirby or Alec Thomas. I think both these guys, it's just going to be, okay, they're good right now. When are they going to kick it to great? That might yeah. take some time as they feel it out. But I think they're going to be positive war guys from the jump. Yes, 100%. Let's start with Kirby because George Kirby, you know, this is a guy. The, the thing about both these guys is you don't have to scroll very far on the top 100 on justbaseball.com to, to <laughs> find their write-ups. I mean, these are guys that we are incredibly high on. And, you know, you can talk about the sex appeal of Matt Brash's breaking balls. You can talk about how <laughs> crazy those are and how sharp the bite is. Brash does not have command. Everything that you were excited about with Brash, get equally or more excited about with Kirby, but the entire other aspects of his game. He is not crazy snapping breaking balls. He is 100 that he dots on the lower outside corner, and then he's got as tight a slider as they come, and then he can turn to a curveball that's a taste breaker that's 20 miles an hour slower than that 98-mile-an-hour fastball and then he can turn to a changeup as well. He can turn to a sinker that he threw once at 97. I mean, this guy in his major league debut, six innings, 
four hits of shutout ball, seven punch outs, and no walks. There was some hard contact against him, but I will take that line against the Tampa Bay Rays 11 days out of 10. And there's going to be loud contact against George Kirby from time to time, right? Like he's a guy that he, it's not the craziest stuff. Uh, the fastball is, is really, really electric in terms of the velo and he spots it up well. But the, the question for Kirby has always been the secondary stuff, right? It's, it's more average to above average. But the thing is, is he is so surgical that I don't think it's going to matter. And we talk about Hunter Green, and I think these guys are similar. I mean, Kirby doesn't run it up to 102. And what I actually liked about Kirby today is he was, he was more in the upper 90s. I mean, we've seen him on many occasions hit triple digits in the minors. But I think he was really focused. If you watched even just the way he was breathing, uh, how he looked in the dugout, I think he was pretty calculated today. And I don't think he wanted adrenaline to really get in the way of his starts or his start today. And he seemed to be more like almost just trying to hit his spots and operating in the upper 90s, which is a quick, crazy thing to say. Oh, he's yeah. taking a little bit off and working 96 to 98. But that was what he was doing. And he was spotting up. And the thing was, is when you're upper 90s and hitting your spots, 13 whiffs on the fastball, Jack. That's what stands out the most to me is 13 whiffs on the four seamer is just really impressive. And uh, I mean that that's what's really going to be the bread and butter for him. The slider, he went to it plenty. It didn't get the whiffs, but it was a good soft contact inducer. I think as we watch him keep going, how much is that changeup going to be a factor? How much can he mix in a curveball? That's going to be the thing because we know the fastball plays, but as we saw with Hunter Green, if hitters don't have enough to worry about in the back of their mind, it, it's a bit of a problem. But the thing with Kirby is he spots. Right. And, well, and that's the beauty of Kirby, right? He's got the pitch mix. And, and that's somebody, and you're going to see a couple of write-ups on JustBaseball.com about Kirby. Finkelstein did, uh, Ryan Finkelstein did um, a pretty solid preview of what's to come with Kirby. It was a quickie. Um, but something that I'm working on that's going to be up tomorrow morning is I think this is the type of guy that that Major League Baseball needs on the mound because he's got a pitch mix. He had a pitch mix at Elon. I mean, this was a guy that struck out. I want to see his junior year at Elon north of 100 guys and walked six guys. Or yeah, something. he was. It was always astronomical. And then I think in the Cape, it was 30 something to two like strikeouts to walks. It, it's yeah. been stupid at every level at every stop. Yeah, his junior year at Elon, he led the country in strikeout to walk rate by a country mile. There was nobody anywhere close. And that's why he went as high as he did. And this is a guy that had command with a taste of nasty stuff. And then the stuff ticked up, yep. which is beautiful. Uh, I prefer that as opposed to the guys who are crazy stuff, can't locate for shit. And you got to try and teach them command because that is... And I know you know who I'm talking about with your favorite team because everybody's got one. The guy that is so frustrating because he cannot throw strikes. And you say, if only this guy could throw strikes. Guess what Kirby did? He came in, he threw strikes, he threw quality strikes. And then all of a sudden at 2020, at the 2020 alternate site, he was throwing 100. And they were like, yep. oh my God, we have a diamond here. And that's the thing is, and with weight training and all of the things that you have today and Everything that we know about how to gain velocity, it, it seems like teams that are doing this are taking this approach are, are doing much better. Uh, and the Mariners have been doing that. I mean, look at Logan Gilbert, same kind of guy. And Gilbert is somebody that now adjusts his slider and his game has gone to the next level. Just wait till George Kirby adjusts his slider because Gilbert was a guy that dominated with the fastball, needed the secondary stuff to tick up a little bit. 
And this year it ticked up. Joe Ryan, another example of that. Yeah. Uh, George Kirby's going to tweak his slider at some point. I don't know when that's going to come. But once he tweaks that slider, it's going to take him to where he from where he is now, which is more of a middle of the rotation guy at the present point. When that slider becomes closer to the Joe or to the uh, Logan Gilbert slider and the adjustment that he's made, he's going to be a frontline guy. Um, And and we're seeing what happened with Gilbert. I think Kirby's going to have a very similar arc and I think he's more talented. So it's pretty scary to see what this Mariners, uh, you know, this franchise is developing. And if you wonder why, like, oh yeah, well then why do they have Matt Brash? They handpicked Matt Brash as the player to be named later in a trade with the Padres. Like they were surveying a bunch of quote unquote nobodies that they're like, okay, which, which guy do you think we can maximize the most potential out of? And they picked Brash after watching him, having one area scout watch him pitch once. So that's just also just trusting your guys there. But yeah. Brash is kind of that outlier where they're like, oh, we can get this guy at a low cost. And, and, He's been a great pickup, but typically they're going for the Kirby, the Gilbert types. And I mean, we're a Hancock, even at this point, he's not getting the swings and misses, but he's spotting up better than, than I think a lot of people expected him to. It's a really fun organization here. Arms wise. I love it. So I, I think your answer to this will encourage the Emerson Hancocks of the world and people that are like that. And, and just the middling stuff that have good command, because when I was growing up, I was a guy that was like mid seventies with my fastball and we're not far removed from growing up. You and me, like that was what 20, 2014 to 2016 was when we were looking at, you know, the legitimate post high school aspirations of our baseball career that both were brutal. And we both, (laughs) you know, showed up violently hung over to club baseball at Syracuse. That's how that worked. Um, But, you know, my question to you is when we were growing up, we were told, Command is teachable. Velocity is not. Yeah. With the evolution of baseball science and the advancements in pitching science, with the advancements in pitching tech, I'm starting to reverse course on that. And I think that command is the unteachable one and the stuff is. 150%. I think command is really hard to teach. I think you can improve command, right? Like, But I think the more we've seen, and especially with how much emphasis when I'm looking at pitchers, how much emphasis there is on athleticism on the mound now yeah. that you can't teach. Um, athleticism can make it easier to eke out that velo, but athleticism, I think people used to think is, Oh, that's a direct correlator to velo. It can be, but I think it's more of a correlator to command. Yes. And, and so like, that's what the interesting thing is. And I agree. I think velo is easier to teach at this point. And it's a wild thing to, to imagine because it, it was backwards when, when we played and, uh, I think we're seeing the teams that do it right. The guardians, we always emphasize that, that go with the, with the command over stuff guys and, and then develop the stuff. It's just, there's just too much at these guys disposal. You, you have to be able to find the right players, right? The right candidates that you can develop. But again, on the offensive side, it's the same thing. It's yep. really hard to teach a guy bat to ball, but I think you can really eke out power potential in a guy with the right frame. Uh, again, if it's five, six Altuve, it's unlikely, but most guys you can you can get to, to tap into some more power. Yeah, but dude, have him eating the right cut of steak. Have him yeah. drinking the right protein shakes as long as they're legal, right? Like that's what these guys do. That's what these clubs and organizations do. They spend hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions of dollars a year to help improve their current crop, both physically and nutritionally. So you're yeah. looking at strength programs. You're looking at, you know, Pitching Ninja's got a Dropbox file of a bunch of pitch grips 
We didn't have that in 2015. Now we do in 2022. We're not far removed again. But here we are seven years later saying that the thinking behind pitching development has entirely reversed course. And that's baseball. That's the beauty of baseball in 2022. And one of my favorite examples of this, like Ozzie Albies, you know what Ozzie Albies career high in home runs was in the minors in a single season? Was it like 15? Nine. (laughs) And that was in triple A before that he had never hit more than four. Um, And now he's this home run threat. It's just, it's funny. You see a lot of guys in that regard too. Now they're starting to, I mean, Jose Ramirez didn't even really have that much power in the minor leagues. And now all of a sudden he's got power. It's, I think it's something that, and these are great athletes that then end up tapping into more pop as they figured it out. I think we're going to see that approach to baseball in general start to adapt. So that's another thing. And building on your athleticism point from a couple minutes ago, athleticism does not correlate into brute force. Athleticism correlates into consistency. Mm -hmm. And that's what athleticism does for pitchers and hitters. A really good athlete on the mound, it's not, oh, really good athletes throw 100. It's really good athletes do the same thing 100 times through the course of a start. Which is what's so amazing about Alec Thomas, right? So like when we go into the Alec Thomas side of things, his swing is so loud. And I remember the first time I watched this guy hit, I'm like, oh no, you know, this is like, I'm talking early, you know, after the draft and I'm watching this guy hit and I'm like, this is going to be hard. You know, this is going to be really hard to repeat. And everyone's talking about what he's doing at the rookie level. I'm like, it's awesome. I, I like the tools, but I'm worried about this guy at high A. And I feel like you could probably understand that was probably a reasonable takeaway, right? How can he repeat these moves against good stuff? Crushes high A at 19 years old in 2019. Um, you know, and I'm like, okay, he, he then he flames out at the end of the year, or it was low A, excuse me, that he crushes. Then he struggles a bit in high A. And people are like, okay, well, how's he going to handle, you know, coming back in 2020? Season's canceled. Comes out in 2021 and, and lights the world on fire in double A. And I think what we started to see at that level was this guy is a crazy athlete that repeats quote unquote loud moves in the box with ease. So you can't really get mad at the movement when he repeats it and times it up unbelievably well every time. And you can see it in the box. He doesn't strike out a lot. He's not a big dude, but now is starting to tap into power. As you saw, and you brought it up before we recorded, his first MLB hit's a perfect example. I mean, just takes what's pitched to him, drives it the other way off his backside, and just a, a rocket to the opposite field. You can't poke a hole in Alec Thomas's game right now. And uh, my only concern was how can he time up all of those moves? And he's proven now in almost a thousand minor league plate appearances that he can time it up quite easily. Yeah, because he is freakishly athletic. And, you know, you can teach some athleticism. Um, Yes, some of it was genetic, but also it was taught. Uh, His dad, I want to say his title was something like strength and conditioning coordinator for the 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 White Sox. Sox. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a guy that came from not only a major league clubhouse, but understood strength and conditioning since before he could walk. So there we go. And this guy was committed to TCU to play football and baseball. That's what kind of athlete we're talking about with Alec Thomas. And, you know, it's it's weird. This is a guy being from Chicago, you know, being on one of those powerhouses in the state of Illinois. I watched Alec Thomas play for the first time when he was 14 or 15 years old, when he was a freshman in high school. Everybody else in that starting lineup was committed to a Division I university, Mount Carmel High School. The only one that wasn't committed to a D1 school in 2016 was a freshman Alec Thomas. Yeah. But I saw a tomahawk, two balls dead center, like 400 feet. 
as a 14, 15 year old. I was like, what the fuck is going on with this guy? But yeah. that's what kind of athlete he is. And he continues to get the most out of his body in terms of consistency. And you said something to me right before the season started. Um, we were talking about guys that you deemed pretty much foolproof. And we said, if you had to say one guy who just cannot fail, who is it? And you, without hesitation, said Alec Thomas. Why is that? <laughs> uh, kind of like right what I was leading into what I said to you is like, I can't poke a hole in this guy's game, first of all. Uh, and then on top of that, he has the makeup, the approach. And what really stood out to me and what really made me feel like this guy was foolproof to answer that question. You talk about his father uh, and there's a lot that has been uh, talked about in terms of just the way he kind of grew up around that professional environment and how he's groomed to be this, this just robot in the best way possible, kind of like Jack Leiter in a way we talk yeah. about just the way that they can uh, compartmentalize things and whatever I watch his at bats, man. And the adjustments he makes within an at bat, he'll get fooled on a pitch, you know, shake his head, step out, step back in. And either the pitcher goes back to that pitch and he lays off of it, or he's ready for a different pitch, a fastball and is all over it. Like he turns the page well, but he also is able to really process what he's taking in at bat to at bat. And that's the one thing that really stands out to me is I see a guy that it's wild. He, he does. I was expecting him to have these Stephen Kwan type of zone contact rates. And while his zone contact rates are pretty solid, they're not off the charts. And what it really is without Thomas is when he swings and misses, he recalibrates and, and then really is able to improve upon that swing. I, it's amazing to see people be able like someone like him, be able to make that adjustment pitch to pitch. Usually a guy's got to go home, watch the video, go over it with the hitting coach, whatever. Alec Thomas takes one swing. And he knows what's up. He knows what's wrong and can adjust it in the at-bat. That's why he's foolproof to me. I mean, this guy had an 860 OPS in Reno before, before he got the call. I, he is, I mean, just running through his year-by-year -year OPS, it's ridiculous what this guy does. 2018, first year of Pro Bowl, 858 OPS. 2019, second year of Pro Bowl, when it was low A, high A, 829 OPS. Last year, 953 OPS. This year, 857 OPS. It all is so consistent. And, and look at the K rate year to year. Dude, the K rate is ridiculous, man. I mean, he is he's so good at adjusting through it bats. It's ridiculous. And that's what stands out the most to me. As you see this kid get fooled, it's not one of those where it's like it's mounting on him at bat to at bat. I'm like, okay, good. He got fooled. He's not going to get fooled next at bat now. Like, that's how he is. It's, so if you could live bet after an at-bat, that's a guy that I'm live betting. Like, oh, he's tweaking off of that at-bat. He's going to make an adjustment. He'll be better. Um, he's the type of dude that'll go 0 for 3, and you're still worried in the fourth at-bat. So, you know, for those reasons, I think he's really going to be a, a legitimate foolproof guy. But just getting in beyond that, above-average runner, above-average field to hit, you could say above average power potential right now. He hasn't tapped into it totally, but there's 20 to 25 there, especially in Arizona and, and where they're going to play a lot of games at uh, an above average defender who could stick in center. Corbin Carroll is probably going to be the guy in center. Once he gets called up and we were talking about it before we hopped on Corbin Carroll, when, when we do our next update could, he's going to be in the running top five prospect. It really depends who graduates wow. ahead of him. I, I'm that bullish on him and four home runs in the last two games. So Arizona has got something fun brewing over there. Um, it's going to get better pretty soon. 
And I'm just glad Alec Thomas finally got the nod. We wanted him up as early as possible. I'm totally okay with him getting another 25 games down there. I, I don't take it as service time manipulation as much because it, it's okay to give that guy 25 something games. And they had some other outfield options. I wanted to see, get some more ABs, but now it's ready for it's It's the Alec Thomas show. And I'm excited to see it. One more question for you um, about what you just said before we move on to the Padres. Is, is it very clear cut that Francisco Alvarez is your top prospect in baseball during the next update? It's there's a good chance. I would say though, what if G-Rod, if Grayson Rodriguez doesn't get called up, we're going to have a fun little debate in there. I also guess Adley would still qualify if he needs more time. Let's say in a world where Adley graduates, I could see we got some Alvarez versus G-Rod. Grayson Rodriguez, which is a really fun <laughs> rabbit hole to dive down. Holy crap, would that be fun? But yeah, oh I think God. it's those guys in, in the conversation. Yeah, damn. All right, Padres? Padres. Dude, I mean, they are lighting the world on fire right now. San Diego's 19 and 10. Um, they've got one of the positive run differentials uh, in the NL West right now, and it feels like everybody has a positive run differential in the NL West. Granted, it's only three teams, but, I mean, you're looking at, at the end of play on Sunday, every team in the NL West is north of 500, and the Padres might be the most intriguing team in that division. Um, they are hitting the ball without the most talented position player in the game. <laughs> they are pitching and they've got depth and they are getting healthier and then they're getting timely production from people that suck a la the top of the episode and jorge alfaro (laughs) (laughs) which by the way like i I wanted to talk about it and then i realized i just had nothing to talk about yeah i wish you saw my reaction it was like i expected it um but anyway for them to get that win there like Alfaro is a guy that's striking out 45% of the time. They throw him out there in the right spot and he hits a three run shot. It, it, there's just something about them this year, that, especially right now in the early going. No, no Tatis, as you mentioned. But what Manny Machado is doing, and, and I was talking about this with some buddies, when Tatis comes back, can you think of a more exciting duo in baseball outside of Trout Otani? More exciting position player duo, and not just mo- more exciting, I mean, more valuable. Position yeah. player duo than Manny Machado and Fernando Tatis. No, I mean, I, I was trying to rack my brain for that. And I was thinking like Vladdy and Springer jumped to mind, but they're nowhere close to Machado and Tatis. No, um, exactly. Because again, like I love Vladdy. I love Springer and Vladdy's a top hitter in the game. But I mean, we're talking about two guys that impact the game in a lot of different ways. Machado's giving you elite or at least very close to a defensive third. Tatis is doing everything, <laughs> is doing everything out there. Um, I think that's the most dynamic duo in baseball outside of Trout Otani. I'm thinking what other what other tandems could possibly jump to mind? JT Real Muto and Didi Gregorius in Philly. <laughs> um, yeah, what do you say? Like Harper and, and Castellanos? Like, there's no shot. Adrianza um, and Josh Bell in Washington. <laughs> yeah, you got Avi Garcia and Jorge Soler. Yeah, true. Um, forgot about that one for a moment. Like, Pete Alonso and Lindor, like there's not, you're reaching on every other, like there, what other scenario are, are both guys legitimately, you know, with a full season, you could say top, top five uh, MVP threats. Only other, only other tandem is Trout and Otani. Which is a crazy conversation to be in because we're talking about the best player arguably of all time, or at least in the modern era. Um, 
And then a guy that's doing something we've never seen done before as the only tandem that's better than these two. So, and if you're wondering like, oh, okay, well, where has it been in the past? Like that these guys have played together. Not really though. They haven't. We had a shortened 2020 season. Then we had a, a season last year where Tatis was banged up and the, the Padres just had a year from hell. It was a year from hell. They had guys dropping like flies. They had worst case scenario stuff happening across the board. And it's very clear that they recalibrated, uh, worked on, satisfying some of the issues. You don't have to worry about Vince Velasquez or Jake Arrieta making starts. In fact, you have to worry about how you're going to really be able to find enough starts for all these guys. Now it's the opposite issue. And what I love in a weird way is that they are finding out how to score runs without Tatis. And then when Tatis comes back, you're just injecting a guy that can homer almost any given at bat. And it's going to steal bags. It's going to be dynamic and do everything. I want to get into the narrative around the Padres in a second, but I want to like continue, you know, on this before we we pivot the conversation to the narrative because that's a super fascinating aspect of it yeah. all to me. But while we're on this topic, just just in regards to Machado and Tatis, I just think this lineup is we're forgetting about guys like Jake Cronenworth, who's off to a brutal start this year, which I'll bet on that guy's bad any day of the week. Right. And and then they're getting a massive improvement from Eric Hosmer, which you know, we can say, oh, it's not going to, it's not going to sustain. It's not going to sustain, but we could say that. And then all of a sudden we're 50 games into the season, 60 games into the season. And that's a full 2020. Can I say something too? I don't hate what Hassan Kim gives the Padres. Not at all. He's giving them what I think they were always hoping for. Yes. Which is, which is spotty offense, but elite defense, but he wasn't giving them spotty offense before. Now he's giving them spotty offense, which is better than what he was giving before. So In- that's it's all they need. In 22 games, Hassan Kim is hitting 220, but with a 330 OBP. If you have a 330 OBP guy playing exceptional defense for you in like three different spots. In spot, yeah, three different spots. Oh my God, I'm so in on that. And then pro far, the batting average is not there. The hit accumulation is not there, but the power numbers are totally there. They are getting production. And I, I want to segment this into offense, pitching, and then narrative. Okay. The offense, yes, Austin Nola has been super underwhelming. Yes, you're right. Cronenworth has gotten off to a brutal start. Yes, C.J. Abrams does not look good, and that was way too aggressive of a call-up from A.J. Aggressive. Preller. That's the Preller special right now. Yeah. Ducapita Marcano, Ryan Weathers, Patino Luis Camposano. Camposano. Like, what is A.J. doing? I've never really understood that he, with that aggressive of assignment. He does. I think he really underestimates the, the mental aspect of, like, what you can do to a player by, by throttling them up there. And I think he's like, let's see if it helps us right now. We're trying to win. Cause he's always trying to win right now, but like, Hey, these are human beings who you could be stifling their long-term development, but we know he doesn't care. Uh, we know he doesn't care because of what happened with one of the guys that is one of their better arms at the moment. Final thoughts on the hitters before we get to the pitchers. And I want to start with that guy. Abrams had a really good swing today. I will say. And like, every time I think like, Ooh, maybe they should send him down. He, he's, you know what CJ Abrams is right now? He's like golf to me where you know, I, when we play golf, I it's, it's ugly for me out there. And I'm right when I'm about to quit, you get that one beautiful six iron shot that just lands right where you needed it to land. Abrams. Every time I'm like, okay, maybe it's time to send this guy down. And mind you, he's playing good defense all the way around. But every time I'm like, okay, maybe they're better off sending this guy down. He puts a beautiful swing on a ball. So he's like just given enough, but I think with what they're getting from Kim, as you mentioned, and what they're going to get from Tatis, 
Abrams is probably not needed. Luke Voigt is has been a disaster. Uh, he's already on his rehab assignments, looking awful. Yeah, did out you see that? Bat. Kevin Charity with Mad Friars. Mad Friars was one of my uh, one of my guys with the uh, with the Fort Wayne Tin Caps last year. Um, he was he was on that rehab assignment. What he struck out eight consecutive ABs, right? I, I really feel for him, man. Cause that that sounds mental. Uh, but but to get into the offense, like the last thing I'll say is. And they're being, you know, catapulted by Machado and then timely hitting from Kim and Profar and uh, Hosmer, obviously, as well. I still think they need to get a bat. Um, and this is a team that I, I wanted to use them as a talking point because I do think that they are the I, I still do believe that they're the second best team in the NLS with their depth. Yeah. I, I know you guys were talking about the Giants, um, but I just think that this team has more firepower. And if they go get a bat, I think that they could really take it to the next level. But outfield bat, Grisham, we've talked about it on the podcast. You know, Peter was saying how, you know, he feels like he, Grisham's a little bit overrated. I, I agree. You know, in between Profar, Grisham, and Myers, I mean, that's just not it, man. Like, they, no, they need to it. go get it. If they go get an impact at bat in the outfield, I think they're pretty complete. Who do you see that impact, Pat, being? It's so much changes though, right? Like that's my so, thing. Like who's going to so, be selling? We can and talk would, about- you, would you go get a Benintendi for a, for a couple month rental? Does Benintendi elevate you? I think he does. I think he does, but are you buying too high right now? You know, it's like you look across the league. I, I outfielders. I feel like a lot of teams are going to be selling at a certain point, but right now, it's just too early. Go pray on the Red Sox. I know. <laughs> who do they have? We're going to sit on that for. They don't. Who are they going to give you? JBJ. Uh, yeah, they wouldn't give you Verdugo. You know who I would love to see though is like a Ramon Laureano. Oh yeah, Ramon Laureano. Keep him on the West Coast. Uh, he just got. I think he just finished out his suspension. So he, he's he was rehabbing down in AAA. Rehabbing, quote unquote. Rehabbing, yeah. Which is just um, he's allowed to play again. Uh, yeah. That's a guy that would give them a huge boost. I, I would love to see Oriano out there with them because there's just not a lot of other teams that would trade away an impact bat this early. And I think the Padres could use that impact bat now. Like, let's capitalize on this momentum we have in the early going. Yeah, I, I would love to see Oriano over there. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see like what other teams falter and, and start to sell. Yeah, you, you talk about the mental fuckery that AJ Preller does with his prospects. Um, I love that term. That was JJ Reddick and Bam Adebayo talking about it. Mental fuckery. Um, I, I think that term is hilarious, but it pertains to this, right? Because Weathers comes up prematurely, Marcano, Patino, Abrams, uh, who was the other guy you mentioned? Camposano. Camposano. Like they all come up prematurely. And then you've got Mackenzie Gore floundering last year not knowing what's going on mentally and just like getting thrown through the ringer. He starts in AAA. It's only a matter of time. You know, is this the guy that comes up? I think he was pissed that he wasn't up in 2020 and they called on Weathers before him um, because Weathers was taken a year after him as a high school lefty, much like Gore. Um, And Gore had already put together an all-world 2019. Mackenzie Gore, through four starts, has allowed four earned runs in 21 innings. And he's been better every start. Every single start. First two came against Cincinnati. He was fastball heavy. Now he's starting to diversify a little bit. And he's peppering corners, which I 
fucking love from him. <laughs> and and I'm glad that he set the tone with the fastball. Like you you need a young pitcher to have confidence that hey, I can I can go in that 2-0 count challenge with the fastball and it's not leaving the yard. Like I I can get swings and misses and erase these hitters counts because then he can start using those secondaries and have even more confidence there, but it all starts with the fastball. Uh, and he, he's been great there. We've seen the, the, the velo, the shape has all been good. The feel for the secondaries is impressive. Talk about a supreme athlete on the mound that, oh, that yeah. again, he always had the command. It was, that's why when, when we saw him struggle, I, I always thought mental because when you see somebody as athletic as he is, he always had wonky commit like or mechanics too, but had yeah. great command because of how athletic he is kind of like Alec Thomas at the plate. Now we're seeing the, the pitcher he always was. And, and that's extremely exciting. And that really changes things for them. Ryan Weathers all of a sudden is pitching well in the minor leagues uh, and looks like he's on the mend and ready to come back. Sean Manaya was a great acquisition and will continue to be consistent. Joe Musgrove is great. Clevenger is back, which in itself is an awesome story. And, uh, you know, we saw him get really emotional after his second Tommy John surgery. I don't think people realize when you get that second Tommy John, you don't know how things are going to go. Oh, no. Um, no. Because that's totally different. You're not, it's, it's not supposed to, to tear again. You're not supposed to have a second Tommy John. The, right. the, the analogy that they give is the second or the first surgery you get that the new UCL they put in there is supposed to be like a chain link fence. Yeah. Originally, it's like a rubber band. The new, UCL is like a chain link fence. So if it happens again, you, 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 you lose trust in your own arm. And, uh, you know, Clevenger was emotional, really cool to see him back. And he looks good. I mean, look, he looks good given the circumstances. He's going to get better as the year goes on. And then Nick Martinez, look, I don't think he's an ace, but I think we're seeing why the Padres were okay with giving this guy four years. He's a big league arm. I think he's more of a, you know, swing man type. And I think they should utilize him more as such. And I think that's where the pitching ends up taking itself to the next level is, Nick Martinez is a swing man. Who do you give that that spot in the rotation to? Uh, and are you rolling six man rotation the whole year with Martinez as that seventh slash swing man? So uh, th- that's my thing. Joe Musgrove is your ace, and I think Joe Musgrove has proved to absolutely everybody in baseball that he is the ace. He is an ace in Major League Baseball. Joe Musgrove in thirty two innings has thirty three punch outs and two walks. This guy is Gosman-level commands at the moment, and he is Gosman-level electricity. He's got a sub-2 ERA so far. Musgrove is the man. He's ridiculous. So Musgrove is the one. Obviously, Darvish. Obviously, Manaya as well. So there are three confirmed. Now you got to work with Gore, Clevenger, who's still on the mend, and Blake Snell, who has yet to make his season debut, but was 96 to 97 in a couple of his rehab starts. So... Snell looks good. Gore, and, you know, again, we're only a month in, but Seiya Suzuki is slumping big time at the moment. I think you got to start talking about Gore as a possible NL Rookie of the Year here. Yep, absolutely. Um, I, I think you go. My pitch to you on the phone when we were talking about what we were going to talk about today was, I think you got to go six-man rotation four or five times through, and then you ride the hottest hand. So you have, obviously, Musgrove, Manaya, and Darvish as the front three. Then I'd say one of those three, Clevenger, Snell, and Gore, needs to be a long relief option a time through or two times through, and then you just like keep swapping them back in, or you could just go with a true six man rotation. So I was gonna say like I, I, Clevenger, Snell, and Gore. I, I want those guys making starts. 
Like every, I want those guys starting every fifth day. But do you want every fifth day or every sixth day? Or every sixth day. Yeah. But do you only want Musgrove starting every sixth day? Because that likely takes a start or two away from him this year. It does. But do, do you care about – like here's my thing is would you rather have a six-man rotation that legitimately gives you a shot to have the upper hand almost – Literally every, every single, game, almost every game. And, you know, obviously there's going to be days where Gore is pitching against someone else's ace. Bueller, right. But, but, you, yeah. but you know what the larger point here is, is that, you know, if you if you played another team for six no, straight man, days. My team's running out Vince Velasquez. I know yes. what throwing a game away looks like. You, yeah. you'd have, exactly. You'd have the net advantage by having a legitimate above average big league arm all six days. That's super rare. I, I really think that I would want to go six man here. I, I think we saw the Astros do it, you know, with with Javier um, mm-hmm. and Javier has looked phenomenal. And that takes a start away potentially from Justin Verlander. And that's probably a good thing. Yeah. I'm of the belief now at this point, the season's long, uh, the postseason's long and you're expecting to go to the postseason. Who cares if you take a start or two away from, from your guy? Uh, I think the extra day of rest is fine and that's not going to make or break a season. I'd rather take the three days a week extra, basically where you have, Dudes that can legitimately shove for you going out there and, and just consistently giving you quality starts. That has got to be a crazy confidence boost when you've got six dudes that could shove any given night. Musgrove, Darvish, Manaya, Snell, Clevenger, Gore. I, That's you gotta comical. Go six, man, go six man rotation there. And here's the thing, dude baseball is brutal. They're going to have injuries. Oh, one yeah. of those five, one of those six guys is going to go down again at some point during the season with a little tweak here or there. It happens. So naturally, they're going to go five-man rotation a lot of times through it as well anyways. I think you got to go with the six. I'm very curious to see what they do, but I would love to see them go six-man rotation. That being said, they have so many arms. You could trade Weathers. You could trade Morahone, who's on the men from Tommy John. And like, Morahone is other electric. Arms. Met if another team has an interest in trying to do a reclamation project, like they can go get uh, that bat basically with with out really dipping into their quote unquote farm system, which is which is pretty cool. Yeah. Do you think any of those six could be trade bait? <sighs> no. Um, the, the the only guy I could see them dealing potentially in one of those like random surprise deals is Darvish. Um, yeah. But. I don't even know if they'd want to do that because Darvish is still a dude that can give you, you know, a complete game shutout any, any given night. But if I, if I could look at that rotation and say, who's the one dude I could see them being okay with trading, I guess it would be Darvish because I I think he's a little bit limited at this point. You know, you kind of know what you're getting. Uh, He's not quite the guy he used to be. He's going to give you those incredible starts every once in a while. Uh, But do you trust you Darvish in the postseason? I don't. He's a five ERA guy in the postseason, um, and and in, in certain matchups, he really struggles. I think we've he's shown some great flashes, but I would be quite fine with with trading you, Darvish. I don't know about you, but but I would, and that also clears up money. Um, and I know the Padres aren't counting pennies, but they're right up at that point where the money kind of does matter. Trading Darvish wouldn't be the worst decision in the world. I just don't know how many teams are taking on that contract uh, for, for the next year, too. Yeah, so Darvish is owed 19 this year, 18 next year with a full no-trade clause, and then he's off Ooh. the books. 
Um, Snell is 13.1 this year, 16.6 next year. Then he's off the books. But this is the final year of control entirely for Manaya, Clevenger, and Joe Musgrove. Musgrove is the guy that will obviously net you the greatest return. But if the Padres have any interest in winning a World Series in 2022, Joe Musgrove better be in your starting rotation. So help me God. Yeah, no, there's no, there's no, he's not, I think they're going to work out an extension with this guy. Yeah. They have either, to either they during the to. season because Hometown they're going to discount too. You yeah. get him for 200 million. Yeah. Give him whatever he wants. And I don't even think his contract would be that crazy given that he's going to be 30. Um, and, and he's more of this like late emerger. Uh, I would give him whatever he wants. He's earned the Robbie Ray deal. He's earned five years, 105, 110. I would try to give it to him now because by the end of the year, he could outdo the Robbie. Right? Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, you're seeing what Kevin Gosman got too. I think it's pretty fair to say Musgrove's in that same conversation. And that's probably what he would get. And I think it's a no brainer for the Padres. I am interested as you talk about what they owe both Darvish and Snell to see if they try to move off from one of those two guys, given the, the emergence of Gore too, and the acquisition of Manaya. Maybe the lefty in Snell is is someone you're okay with cutting bait with. And as we've seen with the Padres, AJ Preller has no problem with doing that. Yeah, we gave up a little too much for this guy, but you know what? We'll take what we can get uh, and admit that we we messed up on this one. Right? We, we, saw that with Adam we saw it with Adam Frazier. So uh, not to say that Snell was bad for them. Like he was really good in spots, uh, but I could see them saying, hey, things shook out a little bit differently. I know we gave up a lot for Snell, but – you know, we're going to still get a pretty good return here. And this opens up some more flexibility for us. Yeah. It wouldn't shock me at all. What teams have a greater chance of winning the world series uh, than the San Diego Padres? That is a great question. I, you know, I've been a giant doubter um, and I still am. I really am. I, I think they're going to be a good team. I think they're going to hang around there, uh, but I, I would take the Padres over them. And we're going to talk about the final thing. There is, is the narrative side of things, which I'm excited to get into. Yeah, I'm taking the Padres over the Brewers. Yeah, I'm taking the Padres over the Cardinals. So the whole NL Central. So every I'm, I'm team seeing, in the NL East besides the Mets for me. Yeah, Dodgers, Mets, Dodgers, Mets, Toronto, Houston. Are you taking the Yankees over the Padres? I, I don't think so. Do the Yankees look good with Tatis back though? And the Yankees look good. Yeah, but they got six pitchers, baby. San Yankees Diego. rotation looks pretty good. It's it's tough. Okay, so but even I'll like say toss up. They're they're right there with Blue Jays though. What do you think? Blue Jays uh, upper Blue hand. Jays, yeah, I'm convinced. Toronto, um, the White Sox. I think San Diego over the White Sox. Oh no doubt, San Diego over the White Sox. Um, We'll see what Lynn looks like when he comes back. We'll, we'll see say what the White Sox are like. 14 and 13, and it feels like hell is, is you know beaten down on them right now. I know. So the fact that they are staying afloat, the White Sox, that's all they need to do. If they can be 500 by the end of May, I'm, I'm not even kidding. I know that's shooting real low. If they're at 500 by the end of May, I think you're, you're happy because yeah. it's a disaster right now. And with the situation in Chicago, just everyone hurt and pitching thin. If they're 500 or a few games above – I think you got to be thrilled at the end of the month. You have to be. Um, but yeah, uh, no. Brewers and Cardinals, I think, are a good. Uh, where, where do the Padres stack up with them? I think the Padres, I think they have a better chance in both of them. I agree. I do. I agree. Big um, one for me, though, Anaheim or the Padres. Padres. 
Yeah, I think so too. Just because of starting pitching depth. The pitching depth is just crazy. And um, Taylor Rodgers, by the way, before we get to the narrative, Taylor Rodgers has yet to allow an earned run. He looks so good. Phenomenal trade. Phenomenal. And, and for, I mean, look, Chris Paddock's doing great, but Chris Paddock needed a change of scenery. I think that was very clear. Um, and, and they made a weird deal happen. And we were joking, like, what the hell is this trade? It helped them immediately. And it, it was creative because they could have just mailed it in and got like an okay prospect return. They were able to find a deal where they could go get a, a impact reliever, a and closer. They just got a closer. closer and they needed him because you look at the rest of the bullpen. It's okay. Yeah. Um, like that's another area where they need to, to probably go do something, but I I'm taking this team above a lot of teams out there, especially in the national league. I, I, and let's get into the giants. Who do you like better? Them or the giants? I think I like San Diego more than that. I like the giants. Would you have said that before this year? Uh, it would have been close. I think it would have been closer for me than Peter. I think you are the biggest Giants doubter. I think Peter's the biggest Giants lover, and I'm somewhere in the middle, and I think I edge towards you. So Fangraphs has the Giants at 9% to win the division, 22% for the Padres, 68% for the Dodgers uh, to make the playoffs, 84.7% for the Padres, 65.6% for the Giants. So Fangraphs skews a little bit towards the Padres. Again, that doesn't really mean much, um, but it is interesting to see because it wasn't that way from the jump. But I think we're seeing the way that the roster has balanced out the depth. Fangraphs usually really likes that because it runs a bajillion simulations. And the more depth you have, typically that runs into your favor because I think it factors for all kinds of outcomes. Um, And that's where, where the Padres are at. I mean, the Padres are one game behind the Dodgers. Yeah. And if you remember, like, especially in that 2020 shortened season, we got a taste of Padres Dodgers, which was like the, the new rivalry in baseball, right? Like this was going to be the thing that saves, uh, the, you know, late night television for baseball. The, the Here's prime the time games. Yeah. Here's what you need to watch. And you know what, dude, I was all in on every game. Every time those two teams played, it was must see TV for me in, in 2020. Yeah. And then as the Padres faded in 2021, all of a sudden that narrative disappeared and the giants becoming this, this incredible juggernaut last year of a regular season team. And I mean, they were good in the postseason. It was a tough matchup. It almost made us just, just replace the Padres with the giants. And it was wild how just in that year, I feel like we just kind of moved off of the Padres. I'm not saying everybody swore them off permanently, but it was just kind of one of those things where we forgot that Jeff Passan had written this whole piece about how this is the new budding rivalry in baseball. And this was like, you know, I mean, we're seeing commercials, you know, gassing up this whole thing. And, and then it just disappeared. And I wonder now I, what I wanted to talk about the Padres is, are we getting back to that? And is this now circling back to what could be baseball's best rivalry when Fernando Tatis comes back? Yeah, I, I think we are getting back to that, but I also think that the Padres took a step that they needed to take. Um, I think we were a year early on that in hindsight. Now, in real time, I was watching this saying, oh, my God, I need this so badly to be the NLCS. I need a seven-game set of this so badly. And then the wheels fell off the bus with San Diego. And and the team was immature. The team was just immature. Now this is an entirely different look for the San Diego Padres. And guys have been to hell and back. I mean, you ask Mackenzie Gore – That dude has been to hell and back in the last 365 days. Manny Machado was the villain of baseball at one point last year, and now he's the best player in baseball through the first month of the season. 
Yeah. I mean, they are an entirely different team than when these two met up in the early goings of last year for the better. And they get yeah. Tatis back. They get, again, the most talented position player in baseball back. Um, and I think this is going to be, we're going to be reminded when we see like Musgrove versus Bueller or Musgrove versus Arias in one of these games, and it's that West Coast night game, people are going to stay up and watch that. And it's going to be a crazy freaking game. And how about though, like when Dustin May is back, Dustin May versus Mackenzie Gore. Yeah, dude. And, and I'm gonna, I want to illustrate one more thing because you talk about last year and how just the wheels fell off. We're out here talking about a six-man rotation and what they need to do and, um, you know, like how difficult that's going to be, but ultimately why it would, could make sense. Last year's team, if you're not sold on this Padres team, you're like, I need to see more. We, we learned the hard way last year. Last year's team had four starters make 20 starts. Four. That's it. The fifth starter that made double-digit starts. They only had five starters make double-digit starts. The fifth was Ryan Weathers, who had a 5-3-2 ERA. You know who had the sixth most starts for the Padres last year? Denelson Lamet. There we go. Had the sixth. So we're talking about a six-man rotation, which would in turn give six guys 20 starts by the end of the year. Right. They didn't even have anything close to that last year. They were desperately trying to find guys to make starts. Vince Velasquez made four. Jake Arrieta made four. Pierce Johnson made two. Adrian Morahone made two. Like, this is a different team to the nth degree in the pitching department, uh, especially when you look at just the ERA output paddock, who was one of the four guys that made 20 starts five ERA Blake Snell. It was a roller coaster last year, four twenty ERA, uh, you Darvish 4.22. And then Musgrove was good, but didn't unlock this next level. He was 3.18. So, I mean, this is a different, different rotation. And that's why I look at this team and I, I wanted to say, like, this is the Padres team we thought they were going to be last year. And don't they seem a little bit more business-like this go-around? Mm-hmm. They seem like they get their shit done. They don't seem like we've got this big flair for the dramatic. And obviously, a lot of that is is on Fernando Tatis, right? And when he comes back, this team is going to be a little bit more exciting, I'm sure, because Tatis is as exciting as they come. But I think Tatis is going to walk back into that clubhouse and he's not going to transform that clubhouse back into this flair for the dramatic. I think that Tatis is going to walk in and say, I'm going to be electrifying, but I'm on a business trip just like the rest of you guys. We're, we're here to win ball games, And yeah. I think they're tired of losing. And, and I think we've seen that development from Machado. The maturity of Manny Machado has been one of the more interesting things to watch. In, oh in my baseball. God. Yeah. One and of the most talented players. Tangible. Usually oh. that thing is not tangible, but it's tangible. It is so obvious. You're watching the way this guy, if you had never watched baseball before, and then you watch Machado now, you'd have not even an inkling that this guy used to be the villain and like the, the bad boy of baseball, essentially. Right. Like everybody was like, Oh, this asshole. And now you watch him play. He plays the game, right? He plays the game hard and he's the best player on the field right now. 381 batting average through 28 games. He has 40 hits, dude. He's on pace for like 240 hits right now. Yeah, uh, it, It's absolutely insane what he's doing production-wise. And I think part of that is because he's just matured as a player all around. And he's all business now. And I think that's scary for this league. So I'm enjoying this Padres team. I'm glad we spent the time on them because I wanted to get out in front of it and say, hey, this is the Padres team that everybody was waiting for. They're yeah. here. Dude, 
I you don't have to rile me up more on this Padres team, man. I we've got Cubs Padres starting tonight. Uh, that's West Coast ball. I'm going to be watching. Absolutely, we got Kyle Hendricks and Mackenzie Gore tonight. That's going to be a hilarious matchup. Oh so, yeah, where's Kyle Hendricks going after this uh, around this trade deadline time? Where's he going? Yeah, I don't know who's going to want him. <laughs> I like Someone him. Will. I still like him. I think he's a great guy. Uh, now, as a pitcher, I don't. I don't think he's a sub four guy anymore. But um, I, I like to think he's somewhere in the fours and not in the fives. Oh, that's that's not bad. Four. Someone will take a fours guy. Oh, will they? Fours guy for fourteen uh, mil a year. Yeah, maybe. Uh, Ian Happ, outfield option for the Padres. Watch out. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I kind of like kind of like Ian Happ out there. So, and we're gonna talk about it in the coming episodes, but. I, I, I said we should give it one more week before we start talking about Red Sox burning it down. Yeah. <laughs> but Xander Bogarts, jokes aside, like we got to start photoshopping him onto some new teams because we know he's leaving, but it might be a little bit sooner if this team keeps losing. I like the idea of St. Louis that was floated in our group text. Ooh, I do I like St. Louis would be fun. They would be scary as shit. But Miles Michaelis, by the way, I was about to say, but can they get pitchers? But Miles Michaelis is the goat, apparently. He's, yeah, he's Denton True Young. Um, Bowman Baseball 2022. Have you pulled anything crazy on loop since the last time we talked? I have not pulled anything crazy yet, but I did pull one. Um, actually, this is pretty crazy. This is pretty crazy. I pulled a uh, James Wood. Yeah. We're talking, which is actually really funny. We're talking Padres. James Wood base card out of 75, which I think is like a $400 card. So yeah. very, very pumped on, on that. I'm going to keep ripping 2022 baseball on there until I get more James Woods. Uh, that's a guy that I think is going to be probably untouchable, but he's been so good in the Padre system that I could see them trading some other guys. George Valera is on a heater. I, I can't pull any George Valera right now. So I continue to rip packs. Uh, and then I'm also chasing Curtis Mead of the Rays and yeah. Ellie De La Cruz, mm-hmm. Reds. I swear Ellie De La Cruz might not be in any packs or it, it, whatever it is. I'm not pulling them. So you should rip packs because you might get all the Ellie De La Cruz's I'm trying to get. Uh, but 2022 Bowman baseball is, is every seller right now on loop has it. Um, no brainer to, to go try and rip some packs and you can rip individual packs. So if you download the app right now, you get that $20 uh, you know, credit with the link in our description for it it's a no-brainer just you don't even have to spend any money you could use the 20 dollars voucher see how you like it uh and go from there but might as well rip a pack and see how it goes and especially with 2022 bowman baseball i like your odds 100 link in the description um also loop.card slash just baseball is good as well um that's that a hey, real quick and you, i don't want any type of reasoning behind it i literally just want a name before we say bye Moving forward, would you rather have George Kirby or Mackenzie Gore? Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. George Kirby. All right, we'll talk to you tomorrow.